Hey, this is Ben Lesage. I play for the Canadian men's national rugby team, and you're listening to the Pro Sports Podcasters. We are the Pro Sports Podcasters, where no sport is left behind. It's time for another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters with your hosts, Nee Wallace Bruce, Corbert Durand, and Justin Williams. On this podcast, we have guests from all over the world covering every sport from artistic gymnastics to weightlifting. We are something for every sports fan on PSP. Whether your interests are the athletes playing the game, the coaches, or the media, we've got you covered. Fun and informative, honest and engaging. You won't want to miss a single episode. So let's kick this off. Welcome back to the Process Podcast. I'm your co-host, Mr. Nemo's Bruce, a.k.a. NWB, and I'm joined by Mr. Kobe Durant, a.k.a. Kobe. Kobe, how you doing? I'm ready to get educated today because we're covering a sport that I don't know much about, but I know you're you're deep in it. I'm all about it. It's the sport of rugby, rugby union, and we got a, a guy who knows all about it. He represented Canada for many, many a cap, and he went to three Rugby World Cups, actually. It is a guy you can see on TSN covering the Arrows and Rugby Canada. It is Mr. Jamie McKenzie. Jamie, how you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me, guys. Really excited about this. Oh, man, it's fantastic to have you on. I've got to ask, was rugby always your first passion? Uh, No, it actually wasn't. So being a a good old Canadian boy, uh, I grew up playing hockey at a high level. Um, I was probably skating on the ice like seven to nine times a week, like mornings after school and then rep team after that. And uh, I just kind of got burnt out. And uh, at the same time, I'd started playing rugby and had the opportunity to travel with that and kind of left hockey behind and, and uh, put the pedal down uh, and, and pursued rugby full time after that. There we go. <laughs> you didn't just pursue it. You took the ball and ran with it, which is appropriate <laughs> given that you're a scrum half. The better way to put it, yeah. Now, you, you initially retired uh, couple of years ago from from playing but the Toronto Arrows they they they're irresistible they managed to get you back out there can you tell us a story about how that came about uh, um earlier in the season yeah actually uh, a lot of the guys on the Canadian team especially joke about how I've probably retired about three or four times and I usually come out uh a year or two before world cups but uh that last one I thought was was for sure happening that I was done with rugby playing at least. Um, But how it came about, I I ended up uh, tearing my labrum in my hip uh, the 2020 season. So I wasn't able to go down to Atlanta uh, with the team. It was just too much of a liability with the borders being closed. And uh, Mark Mark Winokur, the GM, asked if I would be interested in doing any... um, any TSN stuff. And so I kind of got thrown into that. So then this past year, I had the opportunity to be a broadcaster for TSN uh, to cover the Arrows games. And uh, as Arrows fans will know, there's, there was a lot of injury issues, especially in the scrum half position, which I play. Uh, I think they ended up going through about eight guys and towards the end of the season, they were also dealing with some salary cap issues and it started getting thrown around as a bit of a joke saying like, oh, like bring your boots next time. You might actually need to be, need to be on the field. And then uh, a couple more guys got injured and they asked how long I would need to get in shape and 
kind of gave him a time frame and one more guy got hurt. So they tapped me and uh, asked me to leave the broadcast booth and actually step onto the field. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've, seen, I've seen movies written about that kind of stuff. <laughs> I was joking and, about that. I, I was thinking maybe they'll do <laughs> yeah, maybe they'll do an ESPN 60 on me in uh, there we 20 go. or 30 years if they run out of content. There we go. We'll call it, <laughs> we'll call it Broken Arrow. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. We'll, we'll workshop the title, but... Yeah, I have a one. tattoo of a Broken Arrow, actually. <laughs> oh, jeez. That's, um, that's apropos almost. But despite <laughs> all the injuries, the Arrows did gave it a pretty good effort. They, they finished just outside of the playoffs. They did beat the eventual champions, New York, on their own turf. Uh, New York did return the favor later on in the season. But that has to be promising signs for 2023. Would you agree? Yeah. Um, I think with these MLR off-seasons, it's really hard to say what the next season will look like. There's always a lot of moving parts, guys switching teams, guys trying to... Um, use the MLR as a stepping stone to something like the Premiership or some rugby in Southern Hemisphere. Uh, so it is hard to say. Um, I know the Arrows are working hard on, on building their roster out for the 2022-23 season. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how it all comes together. Hopefully they can keep a, a few key players and get some more young like this the team this past year was extremely young which is always great to see so hopefully they get more of those guys back in the fold and use that as a springboard to start building a, what you'd hope would be a championship team absolutely and the team I, I remember watching a lot of the games and it was always a strong forward pack the front eight were bullying teams and then that just really created opportunities for for the bats to to do their thing and show their magic would you say it's also an advantage having so many i guess homegrown or canadian players on the squad in terms of like you said trying to keep that squad together and having some continuity going from season to season yeah i think that's where the arrows were really successful their first uh first two years in the league uh how they came about was essentially a build-off out of uh, an Ontario Blues team. Um, and that first year, first and second year, we had probably about 15 to maybe 15 to 20 guys that had all played together for for years uh, with the Ontario Blues. Uh, and so the transition into the MLR, uh, like what we, we made it to the semifinals or quarter, yeah, semifinals our first year, uh, which is pretty spectacular when you when you mm. think about a new team joining the league um but that is kind of branched out some of those guys were a bit older like myself and um rob brower likes of them uh mike chef's one of those guys that just doesn't seem to want to quit but uh no it's it's great having a really strong group of young canadian guys in the squad because i think that's only going to help the national team uh, when guys are playing together, guys know the ins and outs of how guys, uh, how players play. Um, it makes that transition to the national team a lot easier because everybody's played together. Absolutely. We'll come back to the national team later on. Yeah, so for those of you that are new to the show, you may have noticed Nee's accent. He's from down under. And for him, choosing rugby as your sport is like choosing cereal. In the morning, but for somebody from Canada, 
rugby is not usually first on the list of, of many people growing up. So, Jamie, what made you choose rugby? Uh, actually, it's pretty simple. There wasn't much into it. Um, my brother started playing when he was in school, in high school, um, and I pretty much just followed him around and did everything he did. Uh, and so when he started playing, I think it was in grade seven, just with the school team, uh, a bunch of his friends all decided to play club rugby just so they could do something in the summer. And so I tagged along and uh, that's kind of how I ended up playing, just follow, following in my brother's footsteps, basically. And when did you realize you had the talent to possibly play professionally? Um, it's tough to say, really. Like, especially rugby in Canada, you don't really go into it with the the expectation or, or necessarily like the dream of playing professionally. Uh, when I first started, it was more a way to keep me in shape uh, during the off season for hockey. Um, but once I started making uh, the can Canadian teams like under 17 Canada, under 20 Canada, and then getting to do my men's, uh, my first men's camp when I was about 19 or 20 uh, was when I realized, okay, you know, like I might have a shot at this. Uh, and my brother always like, he was obsessed with rugby and, um, and he left university in his second year, I think it was, to go pursue uh, a professional contract with, with Coventry at the time in, in the championship in the UK. Okay. And once I saw him do that, I, I thought I might have an opportunity too. And the biggest goal for me at the time wasn't professional rugby. It was trying to make that 2011 World Cup team. Mm -hmm. And I knew that the way I could do that would be playing the highest level of rugby in that for me at the time, that was in the championship uh, league in uh, in England, and so I had my brother was actually on the team, and again I fo followed in his footsteps and got a contract with the team he was playing for, and that kind of springboarded me into the World Cup. And after that, I thought, uh, you know, uh, I'd really like to pursue this. And what was it like playing overseas? It's great. Uh, it's especially in, in like I was in central London, um, got to live there, like really soak up the culture. It's, it's such an old sport with so much history and culture behind it. And just getting to live and breathe that and see what it's like at that next level really opens up your eyes to what goes into it and how hard you have to work to make it. So it was, uh, it was, it was pretty spectacular. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, in your stint with, uh, with TSN, yep. how different is it seeing the game from the outside looking in? Oh, that's kind of what drew me back to getting on the field this year. <laughs> um, just like the one of the reasons I was really excited to be on TSN was to still be around the guys and be in that environment. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, it was really tough being on the outside looking in, like you said, um, and only, like during broadcasts and stuff, it was, it was tough not to let your like real inner fan out and like with the oohs and ahs during the game, like, oh crap, like I should have done this or, or whatever it was. So that was difficult and, and more so you just miss being out there. So that was definitely the hardest part about, uh, switching from, from the field to the broadcast booth. No, that's awesome. And then getting a chance to get back in the way it happened. It's like, it's, <laughs> it was, you were obviously meant, you willed it 
to, to occur. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, I think I, I think I did. I got really lucky there. Uh, uh, fortunately, a few guys went down, but it was nice to kind of get one more victory lap. And especially the one game I did play was in Toronto on a Sunday, and all my fra- family and friends were able to come out and see me lace them up one more time. And it was even more special because I've got a nephew he, who's five. And when I was playing before, it would have been he would have been two or three, so he wouldn't have really understood what was going on. Yeah. So just for him to come out and get to see his uncle in a, in a professional environment in a game in Toronto, that was really cool. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I'll just say as a foot foot. See, the dog agrees. The dog thinks it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I gotta say, if you're in the Toronto, the GTA area, do yourself a favor and get down to York Lines next season 2023 that arrows will be back there again they, they they had to play a season away but that's that's gone now they can now play in toronto and it is really a good family day out like speaking to mike shepherd about that he, he he agrees it's it's a real family atmosphere you watch the game have a few beers in the beer garden you can meet up with some of the players and it's really interactive experience and uh, i think that, i think that's something that the arrows do very well and it's a unique thing that rugby does very well overall. Now, uh, Jamie, i got to take your mind back to 2011. It's your first World Cup. Take us to the game against Tonga, a famous victory in Vangaree in New Zealand. Yeah, that was, that was something special. It's one of those moments you won't really forget. And just kind of like the lead up to everything um, was amazing. We were, like you said, we were up in Whangarei, which was absolutely beautiful. Um, and they decked out the whole town uh, in red and white because they were hosting Canada and Tonga. Everywhere you went, um, if you tried to pay for a coffee, they wouldn't let you. Uh, getting stopped everywhere, which is something as Canadians, especially in r- rugby world, you're not really used to. Um but that game, yeah, like you look back and guys were just absolutely battling. Like Adam Kleberger takes like a, a shot to the head, get like 12 stitches across his forehead in the middle of the game. Uh, and just going in as underdogs and, and getting the, the victory there uh, was huge. And there were so many Canadian fans. It was such a, a cool setup. Uh, like, like I said, it's not something you'll never really forget. Um just the atmosphere is especially at world cups is if you've played a test match it, the atmosphere is always pretty intense and uh but when you're at that level it's it's insane um and just getting to soak it up uh i was on the sideline for that game and uh, i think my brothers actually scored the winning try um so just having that connection there and and uh just getting to enjoy it was pretty special and being 21 at the time i don't think you could beat that Absolutely. How good. Not only are you playing in a Rugby World Cup, but how good is that? I'm usually that was your first game in the Rugby World Cup. So, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Now, riddle me this, because I don't know if you know this, but New Zealand were the hosts in 2011. One of the reasons why they were the hosts is because they were initially meant to be hosts of the 2003 World Cup with Australia, but because of some, I guess you could say, governing decisions that happened mm-hmm. with NZ, NZ Rugby, they pulled out, so Australia hosted it by themselves, and then New Zealand submitted uh, a sole bid for 2011. Mm-hmm. So there, my reasoning is this. 
The U.S. has been announced as a host for the 2031 World Cup. Wait, no, no, 2027. 2027 World Cup. How do we get Canada involved? How do we get some matches up in Vancouver or maybe even Toronto? How do we work Canada in there? Yeah, I don't know. Um, if you look at the, what is it, the Soccer World Cup that the U.S. and Canada are hosting together, um, a partnership like that, like so much of the population is is right along the border and there's so many venues um, that could be used, especially like if you look at BMO Field in Toronto, that would be a spectacular venue for a World Cup game in, in North America. Um, I'm, I'm not too sure about the business and logistics behind all that and how that all works out, but if we were able to get games, I think that would be amazing just because in the back of every World Cup, there's so much hype, especially if, if Canada was in it. Uh, yeah. and doing well then it just helps grow the sport so it'd be massive if they could achieve something like that i just i'm not too sure about the logistics of it all yeah that's the thing i mean i was i was in high school in 2003 rolled around to australia mm-hmm. and even just the the fan sites like the activations they had in the cities just being able to get up close and personal with the, the players and whatnot it it really does get the juices flowing for rugby and in a, in a country like Australia, where you have four different types of football, that was huge. That was a big jolt in the arm. So I was just going to say, I think uh, what you touched on there, just the fact that rugby at that level is so accessible in terms of fan interactions. And I think that's something they do so well with the sport that no other sport really does. Like you, like you said, for Arrows games and even World Cup games, you get the chance to go down to the sidelines, say hi to the players. When we were in New Zealand, we were actually doing, we brought hockey nets and sticks with us and they had a outdoor rink set up in Wellington and we would take everything and go play hockey with the fans. Um, and it's just so fun that you can actually do that with the players. And from a player's perspective, to meet fans after the game and see the interest and it's, it's just a completely different sport in that sense. Absolutely. And, I, even the game, the the one-off game this season when the Arrows went to BC, you could see it that the fans showed up in droves, and there was such a an energy. I believe you were covering the game for TSN for that one too. Was that right? Uh no, actually, I think Ray Barkwell and Gareth did that just because of the logistics and um, and uh, just flying out there and and all that kind of thing. But even still, like the the there's there's an appetite for the game from coast to coast. It's just. Someone, we need to get in the ear of someone at World Rugby and just say, hey, get a few games up north of the border and the legacy will take care of itself. Yeah, honestly, that that would be amazing. Right. This episode is brought to you by Kettlebell Kickboxing Canada. Get into your best shape with their comprehensive programs. So sign up now to either their basic package or warrior package with the code PSPKB, all caps, for 15% off. Stay fit this winter with Kettlebell Kickboxing Canada. Yeah, so having played in so many different locations and experiencing what the game is like there, how is it coming along in Canada? You know, I think it's got a lot. uh, I think as a sport, there's a lot of work to do to kind of bring it to the mainstream. As somebody that like knows rugby and, and knows what it's about, I'm actually really surprised it's not more popular. I think 
if people were able to get a grasp on the rules, there's lots of in, in and outs of the strategies and the rules um, within the game. But I think just getting it out there uh, to more fans, just putting it on TSN, like Arrows have done a great job with that. Rugby Canada is uh, working on deals with TSN to to have more of that steady broadcast stream and, and just pumping out content. I think it's huge. Um, that's where, where we need to get to. Um, just getting a, a more broad viewer, viewer base and, and showing uh, people what it's all about is, is going to be big um, moving forward. And what would you say is the most successful market in MLR? Uh, I've actually heard that Utah is is really big like I really think they, they've, they've got a great stadium um it's in the mountains beautiful setup uh there's not like a ton of other sports to compete with especially during the mlr season and i know they get really good viewership like in in stadium and i think they've got a good following i also know that seattle does really well in terms of streaming games uh their fan base is is pretty crazy as well uh like in in stadium uh they've got they usually have a packed out house and those games are always really fun to play in um but you'd love to see like the new york market the la market uh houston dallas like those are such big markets and if you can capture some of that market share um even just a fraction of it like you're going to be doing really well and really help grow the sport Okay, right on. That's that's Utah. That surprises me. That really surprises yeah, me. yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I I can see it. I can see why they'd be into it in Utah. And shout out to Salt Lake City. I'm sure um, they're doing well out there, up in altitude. That's a competitive advantage in itself. But oh yeah, it is. I got I got I got a few more questions to ask. It's it's always fun to talk about. I I got a multitude of questions <laughs> to ask you, but um. Did you watch the Commonwealth Games Sevens competitions? No, I didn't actually. Um, last week, I, I took the week off and just headed up to the cottage, kind of put the phone away, stayed away from the computer. Um, but I, I talked to some of the guys on the on the team, Jake Teal and uh, a couple other guys. And um, again, like any time, especially Sevens, it's such a good sport for TV. Uh uh, and again, again, like I'm surprised it hasn't caught on more because the rules are simpler, the the breakdowns are easy, and it's just there's so much action. But uh, no, I didn't actually have a chance to watch it yet. No worries, no worries. No, it's yeah. As someone who played scrum, it's always, I mean, it's such a it's a game that like someone like yourself, scrum off, it's the dynamic position, so it's kind of transferable from sevens to fifteens in a way. I mean it's not mm-hmm. the same, but there are some uh similarities. But uh, for our listeners that aren't necessarily familiar with rugby, uh, the, the the number nine position that you played, you're the ball distributor, you, you kind of direct the play, you move the ball around. Tell us how important is it for a scrum half to be able to create go forward or the ability to to break lines for the for the rest of the the backs yeah so that's something i kind of got a lot better at towards the end of my career just with more experience um a lot of 
moving forward is actually being very patient, um, knowing when to kind of move the ball out to the wider channels or when to use your forwards. It's, it's such a dynamic position in the sense that like a QB can read defenses, um, but the plays are so set. Whereas in rugby, everything's so dynamic, like you mentioned that you have to really be thinking on the fly. Um, so just to be able to slow things down, that actually creates space um, once you do get moving forward. But uh, in France, they call it le, le petit général, the little general. Uh, and that's basically what the scrum half position is, yelling at some of the biggest guys on the field to work harder or, or hit breakdowns. And, and that's what I always loved about playing scrum half. Yeah, it's almost like you're, yeah, you, you are the... The, the the midfield general shout out to the the DJ who has that same name, um, <laughs> but you are calling the plays. You're almost like the on field coach. You're like the the catcher in baseball. You're like the point guard in basketball. You are directing things. You're the director on set, basically. Yeah, usually what I say when somebody that doesn't know much about rugby and asks about my position. Uh, I say it's similar to a quarterback in football. You're kind of calling the plays, um, directing guys around the field, but you're doing it on attack and defense. There we go. And that's, I guess that's the, the key difference between uh, American, American slash Canadian football and rugby is the sense that rugby, you're doing both roles, whereas Canadian and American football, there's two different uh, units that, perform offense and defense respectively yeah exactly we the backs uh so nine through 15 for everybody listening that that doesn't know much about rugby is considered the is the backs usually the, the speedier more skilled guys and one through eight are usually the the tough guys that battle it out and and us backs always joke around that the forwards are essentially playing a different sport <laughs> than what <laughs> we right. do <laughs> Now, the colloquial definition that I had from Australia was the backs are the princesses and the forwards <laughs> are the hogs. I don't know if you guys yeah. use that in Canada, but something to that effect. Basically, yeah. And, and another good one that I like is forwards win the game, backs decide by how much. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Now, staying in a similar vein, tell us, how would you describe the... I'm from the Southern Hemisphere, so I'm still understanding how Canada plays rugby. How do you describe Canada's uh, rugby style for the men's team? Like in in terms of the the staff or the the men's national team? Yeah, like how do they? What's their playing style? How would you describe it? Ah, uh, well, I I've been lucky enough to have a few coaches. Um, Kieran Crowley was actually one of my favorites. He was really dynamic with how he approached the game and uh, based his approach on on the players that were available. Like 2015 World Cup, we had a, a smaller forward pack, so we were just trying to move the, the ball around the field and, and take advantage of almost our lack of size and our ability, like our athleticism. Uh, right now, um, I'd say they're playing a more simple version. Um, of the game and I think that comes down to them being a really young team still trying to gel together guys don't have a ton of experience at that level so they are keeping it a bit more simple um but I think it's something that as they as they grow as a group together the staff will be able to 
put things in place that will make them more dynamic. It's it's just such a hard, especially when you're out of a World Cup and you don't necessarily have all the funding available that you do when you are part of the World Cup because you get given money um, to prep for it and everything. Mm-hmm. So that makes it more difficult. But I, I was asked this question when Canada didn't qualify. And, and if anything, the silver lining is that they do have eight years now to come up with a plan, um, or I guess now it's seven or six or whatever it is, but just to really come up with a plan. And if they can put something in place where there's a roadmap to that uh, 2027 World Cup, um, I think they could be in a good position to qualify for that and, and maybe make an impact at that, at that level. Yeah, and I, I guess having something like the MLR and Through the Arrows helps to really keep keep it going in those in-between years uh, in terms of development and uh, almost players playing together in a way. So, 100%. And especially, like, historically, like, if we hadn't qualified for a World Cup, there would maybe be, I'd say, five to, like, eight guys playing professionally, and the rest of the guys would be playing club rugby and working. So the fact that guys can stay in rugby for a good part of the year and then play Canada the rest. I think that's huge for, for the development of uh, the players in Canada. Yeah. And I think that's the thing. I think that's, there's something to be said about that because one thing that sometimes we forget with rugby is the game hasn't been professional for that long. It, it was, I mean, most people say 1995 and that was a Southern hemisphere. I'm not sure when the game started to become professional up in the Northern hemisphere, but that was when Murdoch started to put his money into Australia and New Zealand and South Africa came back to the international fold. And then it was really the rest of the world catching up. So I know I know there's some governance things that Rugby Canada is working through and I guess there's a bit of hygiene they want to bring to the fore there, but I, I wouldn't be too hard on, on the situation. It's These are growing pains. Like you said, it wasn't too long ago that you'd have guys who were in the Canada squad, who who had other jobs. But now as the game becomes more professional, that's going to become less of a thing and people are going to be able to focus more on what they do best. So the, the national team will become better for it as time goes on. Yeah, 100%. And I think that was a big part of them trying to get the the MLR up and running was for the development of the, the U.S. and Canadian national teams. So it is definitely an exciting time. Um, like you said, mm-hmm. rugby hasn't been professional for that long and only a few years in the North, uh, North America. And these leagues take a while to grow. So as long as there's some money there to keep it going and the fan base keeps going, then I think it could be a really exciting time for, for North American rugby. There we go. Now, root of me this. How are we going to see a professional women's comp come up in the next few years? Uh, that's really hard to say. Um, like the biggest defining factor in in growing rugby right now is money. <laughs> it costs like you're carrying so like thirty five guys in a squad, um, and just have, like I don't know if there's enough funds for that. Um, I would love to see like a professional sevens circuit with both the men's and women's teams, almost like. Mm. The way I would equate it, it would be like similar to F1, but like more of a private format as opposed to the the, yeah. the international format that they have where it's 
national teams uh, playing right, at right. like the the highest level. Like I would love to see you know like the Toronto whatever is playing against the the um, Dallas you know whoever's and mm. and they and they basically do the F one uh, formula where they go from spot to spot um, and play tournaments. And I think that would be absolutely amazing. Right. So yeah, let's say eight teams you play over couple of days as per usual sevens format and you're yeah. having this circuit of six or seven cities across usa canada maybe get mexico in there as well I yeah you're gonna get a caribbean location as well in the warmer months um yeah okay yeah i think it has some legs and get a tv um deal and yeah. yeah, exactly. I think I think that's the way to go, especially for sevens. But like I said, with with fifteens, it's just it's, uh, there's so much behind the scenes in terms of finances that are involved and raising money um, and having those those TV deals in place and that kind of thing. It's just I think at this point, with it everything being so young, it would be hard to have both a, a men's and women's league right now. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Now, Jamie, this is a burning question, actually. This is actually going to decide <laughs> whether you come on the show in the future or not. Uh-oh. So you spent time in New Zealand in 2011 in the World Cup. I, I assume you probably would have had a Pavlova. Uh, I, don't, I don't think so. I don't know. <laughs> oh, okay. Do you know what it is? No. I'm Googling oh, it right okay. now. <laughs> uh, well, well it's, it's a dessert. Uh, I can tell yeah. you it's a dessert. But the question is, is a pavlova Australian or from New Zealand? It's This is very important. Based on my quick Google search, it's it's undecided. Um, <laughs> I, I'm going to say based on your background, it's definitely from Australia. <laughs> All right. There we go. And wait, <laughs> you can come on the show anytime you want. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's a it's a nice dessert. You, there's a there's a bar called Hemingways at Yorkville that serves it if you want to try it. So definitely. Okay, get I'll have to head back to Hemingways. That's where uh, the arrows do all their uh, away game like parties and stuff. And I've I've actually never tried it. So I don't think when we were at the World Cup we were allowed to eat that. But uh, oh yeah, now, that makes sense. <laughs> now that I'm retired, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm good to go. There we go. You can you can treat yourself. Yeah. Now, where where can our audience treat themselves to your content? What's your handles on Twitter and Instagram? Uh, Twitter and Instagram both the same. Uh, I don't judge me for my name. I have no idea where I came up with this, but now it's just kind of stuck, and everybody calls me by it. It's uh, at J Macardoo. Um, and when somebody asks where I got the name from, now I just say, "Well, it's better than J Macker. Don't so." <laughs> I, I'm actually feeling Macadoo. Yeah, like, that's yeah. that's what everybody calls me now. They'll be like, "Oh, Macadoo, what's going on?" <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, I'm cool with that. Kind of sounds yeah. like an Aussie nickname. I'm, I'm feeling yeah. that. Yeah. So, and go. the Aussies are are famous for their nicknames, so I I appreciate exactly. that. You fit right in. There you go. <laughs> now, Jamie, it's a pleasure to have you on, and we'll be watching you in the future i'm sure we'll probably be watching you on tsn but it's something 
awry happens, well, I guess we'll see you in the Arrows jersey next season. <laughs> yeah. yeah. After this year, I wouldn't count out the possibility. Who knows what can happen in a, a season of rugby, right? Yeah. Anything can happen in the game of rugby. But, um, it's been a pleasure to have you on. Good Yeah, chat. awesome to have you on, buddy. Yeah, thank you guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. For even more of your favorite sports content, be sure to visit the website www.prosportspodcasters.com. On our website, you will find our sports blog, full podcast library, access to our YouTube channel, and deals from our affiliate partners. You can also sign up to become a PSP Insider and get exclusive access to our insider tips, sponsor giveaways, and insider newsletter. So don't miss out on the full Pro Sports Podcasters experience. Where no sport is left behind.